morning, church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you were here this morning expecting to see Shane, so was I. Uh, his family has fallen ill, and we didn't want to share. Uh, so he's taking the week off. Uh, he has a wonderful sermon that he'll deliver in a few weeks. I know he put a lot of work into it. Uh, but that's his sermon, not mine. So you're getting one fresh out of the oven this morning. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, the awkward clap. That's the best way to encourage me this morning. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Uh, if you're here and you're our guest, thank you for being with us. If you're here celebrating the holidays with us, it's so wonderful to be able to welcome you. Uh, you may notice that the church is in a good mood. We had a wonderful time at our Christmas celebration, kind of pre-holiday celebration the other night. And uh, what a night that was. But, you know, a night like that doesn't just come together on its own. Uh, it, it requires a lot of people coming together and doing a lot of different things. But isn't that the reality of life together in the church? It's, it's actually even the foundation for our giving. And you may think, well, wait a minute, I thought you were about to encourage those who were serving, and, and I'll get there. But I, I want to draw our attention to something that we shared in our kind of year-end recap video you may have realized uh, you're giving to the church and you saw some of the exponential ways that God has used us as a church uh, in this past year. Over $75,000 that we were able to have in financial impact to families just in, in this area. Uh, that doesn't happen with any one individual. That, help, that happens when each of us does our part in contributing to the whole. And, and I just want to take a moment, you're going to notice us doing this in the weeks ahead, we just want to take a moment to take a little bit more time with giving. There's no financial crisis in the office, there's no year-end push that we're trying to make to make budget, there's just simply this, the desire to not rush this moment of worship. Giving is an act of worship. It requires intentionality on our part. I know that just this last week I was looking over some things with our family's finances and realized that I had, I had our giving on the auto pay plan and something had happened with it that had been kind of kicked off of that plan. And, and so there were several weeks where we hadn't given. And, and, and I realized this is what happens when I don't pay attention to this act. And isn't it true that God doesn't call us to put our faith on autopilot? It's an act of intentionality at all times. And so today, I just want to simply take a moment to remind us of the importance of giving and generosity as a part of our stewardship of the rich deposit that we have, not of finances, being entrusted with the gospel, something far more valuable than our monies, because we're reminded that it is God who calls us to this faithful use of our resources. We had the privilege of being together with some that uh, last Sunday that were considering us as a church, and there were four times as many people that came into that class than what we expected, and it was a wonderful time together. We were talking through baptism and all of these different types of things. We were talking about the, the gifts of the Spirit that God has given to build up His church, the different gifts that He has given to individuals to build up His church. We're called to steward those well for His glory not ours as individuals or as Metro Life Church. Psalm 50 reminds us of the vast and rich resources of our Father God. It says this, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all of the birds of the hills and all the moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. 
for the world and its fullness are mine. See, we don't give as an act of generosity. We don't serve as an act of laying down our lives for others because it's something that God needs from us. We do so because it glorifies him as the source of all of those things. So that's where it's an act of worship and it requires intentionality and dependence on our part. See, we want to be faithful in using the resources as an organization, but we want to call you as a church to be faithful in that as well. This is how we grow, and as we mature, it's an indicator of our spiritual health. It's something that says, am I going to give in to materialism? Am I going to give in to selfishness? Am I going to give in to greed or hoarding or anxieties over monies that I do or wish I had? It's a way that we preach the gospel to ourselves through our wallets, reminding that there's nothing that we can do. See, Luke 16, in verses 11 through 13, says this, If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that of which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. This is where Jesus makes it clear what he's talking about. You cannot serve both God and money. Money's in the headlines all the time. Will the Fed? Won't the Fed? What's happening with inflation? Is it actually inflation or is it deflation at a slower rate than what we expected? And so we brag about it. We as an organization are faced with the same things. Our energy costs, what it takes just to light up all these Christmas lights that I demand every year. The costs for that is going up. And it's not that we don't want to be less beautiful. It's just that we face the same realities that you face at home. My power bill last month was obscene. And that can be a a tempting moment, can't it? Why does this change so much? Why does the weather wait so long into the year in Florida to cool off? It's because God is revealing something about my heart. And I wonder at times as we face those economic uncertainties underemployment, wondering about our job or our next paycheck, wondering what it looks like for the rent to be due or the mortgage seems like it was attainable when we first moved into the house and now we're not so sure. Those moments reveal something about our faith, don't they? They reveal something about what we believe is the source of our salvation and our hope and our help in time of need. And I wonder today if even just taking a few moments, and as we'll do in the weeks ahead, is it helpful for us to say, let us not be dependent on the wealth of the world. Let us be a people who look to God, who so richly provides for all of our needs. You know, that's part of what we were celebrating the other night. Giving and serving in the church are a part of the stewardship of our gifts The other night we had some that were generous with us in such wonderful ways. I I think of Rhonda Thomas. She kind of had the opportunity this last Light Up Metro Life Church to serve us through the hospitality team. There, There was this whole group of people in the kitchen. If you want to know what the heartbeat of the church is, stop by the kitchen. But be warned. You're going to hear some things. They're going to say some stuff. Sounds like they're all sitting right over there. They served us so wonderfully. On Friday night, didn't they? 
So many last Sunday were gathered here, and Lindsay McCall came in uh, throughout the week and had so much responsibility for the Christmas decor that we are sitting in and celebrating and marveling in uh, this morning. I know that Stephanie, the First Lady, was a part of the table decorations. Uh, Katie Kubik endlessly got the building ready for you and for everybody that was here. I want to thank those that helped coordinate SAC Comedy being here with us and the Family Feud team that put that together. Uh, Those things don't just happen in a vacuum. It requires an intentionality on our part. Some of that planning began over the summer with a simple text thread. Do you think this is something that we could do? And then all of a sudden it became what we enjoyed on Friday night. Our Christian life requires intentionality. And so many of you didn't just kind of bask in the glow of Friday night together, but yesterday morning you were out bright and early in this community serving through neighbor to neighbor. Volunteers from four different churches in the area. Uh, But I just want to highlight one individual. And it's not Shane, although he gave oversight to this. It's actually Justin Jones. You know, Justin didn't just show up Uh, yesterday morning and just kind of wing it for the glory of God. He had been serving alongside Shane all along. So for months, they have been working together to get ready for that. And then, Justin, what an example of the biblical principle of being ready in season and out. Brother, thank you for setting an example for us as a church. But I also want to highlight what the benefit and the blessing of this kind of intentionality in our Christian life leads to. I was sent a post from Facebook yesterday. Stephanie sent me a screenshot and she said, have you seen this? I said, no. And I want to read to you what somebody who was served yesterday said. Good afternoon. I would like to take the time to thank the members of many churches in our area, including MetroLife Church and all their volunteers today. They graciously gave their time, heart, and hard work to help my family clean up our yard and make our home nice. There's not enough words to express the joy and gratitude that it has brought to my family. This is a family home that has been passed down through generations of our family. We're so grateful to live in a great community like Castleberry. Thank you, and God bless. Church, thank you for the ways that you are making a difference in this community. All right, I'm going to try something this morning. I'm going to invite you to try it with me. We're going to sing together. And we're going to throw it it way back a little bit. You you ready for that with me? Michael, do we have the lyrics? Let's just try this together. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks. Because he's given Jesus Christ, his son. Give thanks. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ, His Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. 
Let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. And now let the weak, and now let the weak say I am strong. I hear those parts, it's beautiful. Let the poor say, I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ, his Son. Give thanks. Father, in a season set aside for the expression of thankfulness, may we as your people redeemed by the blood of the one we were just singing about. May we be the leaders of thanksgiving this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I've I've titled this morning's message, A Thanksgiving Benediction. And really what I want to do is is maybe bring you into a little bit of what's been going on in my heart for a couple of weeks as I've been looking forward to Thanksgiving and, and also take some benedictions that we see from God's Word and kind of weave them together in a way that, that ministers to us and prepares us for the week ahead. I don't know whose table you will have opportunity to gather with. It's not always in a particular home. Sometimes you're a part of a larger family. Sometimes you're with family that is chosen. But I think that we all need to take the time to slow down in this season and give thought to the source of our gratitude. Scripture informs us and equips us for this. I actually had a funny interaction with Dave Morris in the hall just a moment ago, and I'm including this to make sure that when he listens, that he's listened well, because he's actually serving us in TruthQuest this morning. Dave said, you know what? I said, I said to him, I said, after yesterday, are you as sore as I am? And he said, no, that's just you. I was like, thank you, Dave, for using the gift of encouragement that God has given you in such a practical way this morning. He said, no, actually, the yard that we were working on looks like my backyard every week. And I thought, man, now I know how to pray for you. And he said, because the kids, they don't help me. And his kids were standing right there. He said, you know what? If you helped this week, that's what I could be thankful for. And I said, way to lead, Dave. That's just wonderful. What I heard him just say is, I'd be thankful for you if you did this thing for me. And his kids laughed because I guess that's normal in their house. But isn't it also normal for how we treat God? I would be thankful for you if you did this for me. Well, thank God Dave's not God. Because he's already done so much for us, hasn't he? We don't have to look long to see what it is that God has done for us. We don't have to look far. We don't have to search up and down and high and low and near and far and wide. No, it's often so plain we just 
overlook it so easily, don't we? What has the Lord done for you in the last few weeks to show himself able, strong, Savior? How has he saved you from yourself? How has he provided for you and your family? You're here this morning, which means you're alive, which means he is too. Sure, there are things that we all face and burdens that we carry, things that we say, I wish it didn't look like this. Sometimes that's not anything of our own actions or the consequences of our own actions. Sometimes that's just the fallen world that we live in. And yet we can be so focused on that and the darkness that surrounds that we miss the light that has come. I think that it's important for us to slow down in this season. Paul actually gives immense amount of practical instruction to the church as it relates to ways to be equipped to give thanks. I think I've shared this story before, but some years ago, my boys had begun to share as a part of the time that we go around the table, and I realized they're winging it, and they're not good at that yet. We all wing it a little bit, right? Okay. Maybe just me. And I realized we need to talk about this. We need to, I need to equip them so that they know how to prepare for the moment when we'll go around the table and share what are we thankful for this year. I hope that's a tradition at your house as it is in mine. And if not, may it be a tradition in our hearts every year, every day. So I talked to them. I said, guys, it's important for us to give thought to that before we just start speaking. Because then you start to say things like, I'm grateful for my Xbox. And mom was not grateful for their Xbox. It was a strange moment at the Thanksgiving table. And I realized they need to be equipped for that. In our gratitude, isn't it kind of God not to leave us unequipped for expressions of Thanksgiving? He instructs us how it is that we can give intentional thought to our lives and live in a way that brings him glory. He allows us to have this instruction, not so that there is something else that we have to do in this busy season, but a calling to how we are to live for his glory. It's what helps us not be Mary or Martha, as there's one who is so intentional in her thoughts and one who is so intentional in her actions, but to be the people that God has made us to be to glorify him with our lives. I'm going to begin today in Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bible or your app, you're going to want to keep it out. We're going to hit a few passages along the way. But Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I do not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Why am I reading this? Well, I'm, I'm reading this because Paul is intentional to instruct the church 
in Philippi. He's intentional today to instruct the church in Castleberry as well. What does this remind us of? Well, it reminds us of a few things. We could just start with do all things without grumbling or disputing. Oftentimes, this most shows up in parenting, doesn't it? When we're trying to not train our children as much as it is just remind them, you're supposed to do all things without grumbling. And yet, we don't instruct our own hearts in that. Maybe that's just me. Paul is instructing all of our hearts as a church in this. Not only that, he is saying, there is coming a day where I will not be here anymore. Now, let's just pause here for a moment. None of us are promised that this is not our last Thanksgiving. But we're all instructed in how it is that we should go about this year. Without grumbling or disputing. To be the children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. I don't know the other people sitting at your table, but they may represent the darkness that opposes your faith. They may represent the hostility that we've been preaching about in the First Peter series. I don't know the answer to that, but here's how God's Word instructs us how to sit at our table together on Thanksgiving Day. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. It also instructs us in this. Live a life that calls people to the glory of God. That's what Paul's drawing attention to here. He's not saying, don't make my life worthless. What he's saying is, I'm living for the kingdom of God, and he's calling the people in Philippi to live up to the calling of God as well. Does your life reflect at that Thanksgiving table, does your life reflect a calling up to the glory in the kingdom of God? This is where Paul's instruction are not intended to be something that is this new burden for us to bear in this season, but a calling up to the glory that we are called to live for every day of our lives. Do all of these things so that even if it's my end of days, I will rejoice and be glad with all of you. There's good for us as individuals to think these things things through. Look over just a couple of pages, a couple of chapters in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Okay, Paul, you can't mean that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So don't be anxious about anything. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul, in instructing us to rejoice, doesn't tell us to be this kind of person that just says, I rejoice no matter what's going on. In other words, he's not calling us to rejoice or have joy because of our circumstances. He's calling us to have joy in the midst of our circumstances. And there's a difference in that. We don't just happily go along life and just saying, oh, well, I'm going to let go and let God. I'm going to let Jesus take the wheel as if it's some kind of Carrie Underwood theology. What he's telling us is, in spite of your circumstances, have joy. Now, how is it that we can do that? Well, we can give thanks. How is it that we can give thanks in the midst of what can be difficult circumstances? Through prayer. Paul is inextricably linking prayer and thanksgiving. Prayer and rejoicing. 
Why? Because prayer gets us out of our circumstances. It gets us into a heavenly kingdom mindset. He's telling us in your prayers to let a reasonableness be known. John Piper famously says that the best way that we glorify God is by enjoying Him forever. This is where it instructs us to understand that our calling in this Christian life is not just to be this happy-go-lucky people acting as if the real things that we're walking through don't affect us at all, but to have a stable joy that cannot be shaken by our circumstances. I don't know what you're walking through here today. In a room this size, I can't know everybody's story as much as I try. You may be walking through life, and, and you're much like my giving was, as I talked about it just a moment ago. It's on autopilot. You're going into this season happy-go-lucky. You're just wondering how you're going to be able to do all the things that you're going to do, and there's this blessing to that. Be careful how you share that. You may be going into this season, and you are burdened by the circumstances of life that you have been called to. See, what Paul doesn't do is say, well, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. What he tells us is to rejoice no matter what you're going through. What he tells us is, no matter if you're in the high highs or the low lows, find joy in something. What is it that our joy is found in? Well, let's turn over to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to spend just a few moments here considering a few of these things. Excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 22. It says this, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Do you hear this similar language coming through in these passages? Okay, rejoice, pray. What else is that he's going to instruct us in? Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you want to know how to live for the will of God? Give thanks in the midst of your circumstances. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every evil. Okay, so how is it that this instructs us when it comes to the Christian life? What is this telling us to do? We've already heard these words of rejoice. We've always already heard the instruction to pray. This is where it, it begins to help us to understand the importance of our personal devotion, our intentionality in the Christian life. Paul wants us to have an outlook of life that is joyful. Joy is not something that we work on. It's not something that we work up. It's not something that we just come up with. It's something that we live in as the people of God. Joy is what we live in. We're able to experience constant joy because of the presence of God's Spirit in you. That's what Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 tells us. Our joy is not generated from the outside. In other words, it's not our circumstances. Our joy is the overflow of the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the believer. It is from the inside out, not from the outside in. Are you struggling this week to find joy in the midst of thanksgiving? Is it possible, church, that you are looking outside to inform your inside rather than the other way around? We are to be joyful in our outlook. How else is it that he instructs us here? It says that we should be persistent in our prayers. We should be persistent in our prayers. There's two things I want to draw our attention to. First of all, praying means that we get 
to speak to the God of the universe. He wants to hear our prayers. I'm going to say that one more time. Just make sure it sinks in for us. The God of the universe wants to hear your prayers. You know that burden you're carrying that you can't take care of on your own? The God of the universe wants to hear your prayer. This time of year, I think this illustration works well. We treat prayer too often like it's the butterball helpline. And we wait so long to call on the name of the Lord. Try to do hours and hours of intentional Christian living in 20 minutes because family's coming over. Be persistent in your prayer life. Pray without ceasing. There's a persistence to letting the God of the universe hear from us. See, God expects that we are going to be asking him for things. It follows that he actually is going to give you what you ask. But let's recognize this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 tells us he is able to actually provide for you more than you can even ask or imagine. This doesn't mean that he's going to answer your prayers in ways that just make sense to us. He's going to answer your prayers in ways that make sense to him more than you ask or imagine because it's about his imaginings for your life. His good for your life. Paul then tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, that we are to be grateful in attitude, persistent in prayer, joyful in our outlook, and grateful in our attitude. Now this may seem like it's an unusual command. Life is difficult. The Christian life is difficult. It faces hostilities. How is it that a person could give thanks in everything? You may look at your life and say, I mean, there's some things that I can give thanks for. But all of the things in my life, everything, everyone, how is it that I'm to give thanks for all of these things? See, this command from Paul is less about the things themselves and more about our perspective on them. This is that inside-out happening again. What is your perspective on the things, your circumstances, the people in your life? This isn't some speech where I'm here to just motivate you and say, they're not problems, they're opportunities for success. No, actually, they are the tools in the Redeemer's hand to shape you and mold you into the image of Christ. It's our perspective on those things that Paul wants to shape and give direction to here. What else are we called to do? We are called to be sensitive to the Spirit. Verse 19 tells us, do not quench the Holy Spirit. You might translate this very literally like this, don't put out the Holy Spirit's fire in your life. I love that language. Don't put out the Holy Spirit's fire in your life. Paul is calling us to be a people who don't stifle the work of the Holy Spirit. We're called to be a Spirit-filled people. Do you think about that when you gather together with coworkers or family? 
Perhaps this week you have a Friendsgiving celebration. Do you think about that when you're gathered together with your friends? You are called to be spirit-filled in those gatherings. You're called to be spirit-filled at all times, in all ways. Don't, church, put out the Spirit's fire. This is an an admonition to us to live a Spirit-filled life dependent on Him. Why is it that we need to be dependent on Him? Because the next instruction tells us that we're called to be obedient to the Scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5.20 tells us, do not despise prophecies. Now, I believe that this is something that both speaks to the gift of prophecy in the church, but more specifically, the function of prophecy in the church is to point to the truths of God. Even what I'm doing right now in preaching and proclamation is a part of a prophetic work. I think in this particular case, Paul is instructing the church not to despise the prophecies of old, the the work of the Holy Spirit, drawing our attention to see the redemptive plan of God's work and whether that happens through the prophetic gift or through the proclamation of preaching, do not despise those things. In other words, have a view of Scripture that it is authoritative in your life. That's also the measure of the current prophetic gift in the church today. Do not despise prophecies. We're not given a lot of instruction on what was going on in the church in Thessalonica, Maybe they were despising prophecies. There was no way that we can for certain say what it was that was going in on in the church. But Paul may have just been saying, hey, don't let this happen in your midst. He may not have been correcting something that was already happening. But no matter the issue that they were facing, he's saying, put a high value on the proclaimed word of God. Have a high value on the word of God. What else does he tell us in verses 21 and 22? He says that we are called to be a people who are committed to discernment. Committed to discernment. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Church, can I just express a concern here? I'm concerned we don't test enough. I'm concerned we don't test enough. I find this to be true in my own life. Whether it's the music that we listen to, the entertainments that we give ourselves to, the news that we ingest, there is something discipling us all the time. And I wonder at times if we are intentional enough with this. Are we discerning the things that God has laid out for us? Are we testing it for what is true? Are we holding fast in those moments to what is true? Or are we just taking it all in as if it's just, well, it's all true to a degree? Oh, that's concerning, church. You may realize how much is required in the Christian life, and that's true. But we're going to see in just a moment how much has been provided for us. A commitment to discernment. Recently, as a leadership team, our pastors and our deacons, we were talking through different things where we were just saying that there is a curiosity of this age where you can almost investigate anything in real time. And that can be wonderful as a tool. It can also be so dangerous just one more click just one more going down the rabbit hole of my imaginings just one more giving in to the question of well what if we need a spiritual gift of discernment in the church today 
we as individuals who make up the church need to pray for the gift of discernment in our everyday dealings. And I don't mean like, I think that my, I think that my server is demon-possessed. I mean how it is that we listen to the voices in the world around us. We need the spiritual gift of discernment at our Thanksgiving tables to know when to speak up and when to shut up. I think I'll leave that one there. I mean, I said it was hot out the oven. I just don't want to get too hot. Now, let's keep going. We need the spiritual gift of discernment in the way that we interact with each other in the church. We need to be able to discern is the thing that the Lord is laying on my heart the same thing that's going on in this person's life? We need to be able to discern how it is that we live for the glory of God even as we one another in the midst of the congregation, let alone the world around us. We need to have discernment when it comes to the things that we invite each other into. See, for the believer, all of life has to be viewed through the lens of Scripture. This is what it is that informs. It's what uh, shapes and sharpens our view. It's what gives us discernment. Are you testing and weighing against the Word of God? Is it informing the way that you view the world around you? Is it informing the way that you listen to other voices? Not even just the ones in your own head? Is it what's softening your heart toward others? Is it what's informing the spiritual gifts that you've been given? See, we need the spiritual gift of discernment. It's, it's actually as basic as this. At the heart of the question that every Christian has to ask is this, what does the Bible say about that? See, my concern is, is that too often we neglect that very simple Sunday school question. What does the Bible say about that? The things that prove to be good, hold fast to them. The things that are garbage or evil, reject them. Don't let your algorithm in Google, on social media, don't let the filter bubble become an echo chamber and cause us to lose the gift of discernment. If you see it, if you hear it, before you say it, ask the question. What does Scripture say about that? What does Scripture say about that? Actually, it tells us more than that, stay away from that. You start to pick up yellow flags, a little red flag every once in a while, stay away, church. That is acting on the gift of discernment in our midst. Would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, just briefly before we close. And above all these things, Colossians chapter 3, beginning verse 14 says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I don't know about you, but when I heard Caleb and Thomas when they started to sing those harmonies, as we were being led in worship this morning, oh, 
They sounded wonderful, didn't they? See, they're not the same notes. They're not the same notes, but they bring harmony and they bring a beauty to something. Live in harmony, church, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, we're reminded in these passages of not only the tools that sharpen our discernment, not only the way that we express gratitude for those things, but we see something of God the Father, Christ as our Redeemer, and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. But what does this all do? Well, it points us to one of those prophecies of old. Turn over with me to Isaiah chapter 61. I just want to look at verses 1 through 4 here as I close, which is my way of letting the band know since they didn't have my notes. We're about done here. There it is. There's the door. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. Who but God could use vengeance as a tool of comfort? To grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. See, these words capture some key aspects of the mission of the anointed one. They're described here, and Jesus actually uses them as a tool in his self-revelation of who he is. In a packed synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus is going to read from this passage, the one who is spirit-filled the one who uniquely comes to bring good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, and healing of the sick. We see this in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And Jesus proclaims in verse 21 of Luke chapter 4, today this scripture has been fulfilled. See, he is the one who's the anticipated Messiah. He's the one who's going to bring that renewal and that redemption as he rescues us from our sin. And he is the one who today, if you find yourself burdened going into this season, you can turn to. If you find yourself just going through this season without any intentionality or on mission at all, he is the one who can give you 
glorious purpose in this life. Church, let us look to him together. Y'all should have been out here by now. <laughs> All I need is the first note, and we'll go right into it. We're going to sing the song, Church, Can We Stand Together? We're going to sing the song at the foot of the cross. And it sings these words where we can trade these ashes in for beauty. Father, we ask that your word would bring life and health in this week ahead. We ask that it would inform us how to live for your glory. Not because we seek out the difficult circumstances in life, not because we seek out the comforts of this life, but because no matter the comforts or the difficulty of our circumstances, we seek out you and your glory. Lord, may we be satisfied in you that we may rejoice and have joy no matter what we're facing in the weeks ahead. And at the end of every day, say may God be praised through our lives. Thank you.